How many Obsidian Order agents does it take to change a light bulb? How many? How many? Three. One to change the bulb and one to obfuscate the entire issue. Shut up, Wesley. I thought you were going to say maybe, you know, something about there are three lights. No, that's that's the other one. That's just a general yeah. Cardassian thing. How many lights are there? But no, the Obsidian Order <laughs> one. There's three of them. One to change it, and one to complicate matters beyond confusion. What does the third one do? There is no third one. Ah. That's the, that's the, that's the, the Obsidian Order, man. It's like nothing's ever what it seems it is, you know. It's like people don't believe me. I've been telling them for years. Garrick is the head of the Obsidian Order, and nobody believes me. <laughs> that's a good wow. theory. Yeah. Welcome to the Final Frontier. A Trexphere podcast for all your fan film, fun, and fiction. I am Bill Allen, a.k.a. the guy in the red shirt, and our fearless leader and technical wizard extraordinaire and the guy that makes sure this show actually gets made is Adam Mullen. Hi, Trekkies and Trekkers. And our special guest this afternoon slash evening slash whenever you're listening to this a man who's probably got more radio talent than the rest of us combined. Oh, stop. It's Dean Rogers. Hello, all in the galaxy. Nice to see all of you and hear all of you and hopefully meet all of you. But it's great to be here, especially at the Final Frontier once again. See, now that's how you do an intro. I told you, the guy's got, the guy knows what he's doing and we're just kind of, you know, winging it. You're, you're hired. <laughs> Well, I only had a year's worth of experience on um, the local radio station here in the DMV, but um, it's been a challenge, to say the least, especially getting to radio since um, I always wanted to go into television for a number of years and switch to radio. It's been an amazing adventure, so I have to thank the local radio station and my good friend named Kevin Sampson, who I probably owe him a dinner after this for making the transition. <laughs> Do we have any news? I don't think, do we have it? I don't know if there is any news this week. Actually, there is. Um, I uh -huh. through a good friend of mine, James Colley, that we lost the um, person who played the very first lieutenant junior grade in the Star Trek universe. Um, the actor's name was Stuart Moss. He passed away recently. And he is forever known as lieutenant junior grade Joe Termullen in The Naked Time. Well, that's kind of sad. Yes, it was. Yes, it is. <laughs> Maybe it'd be and, happier news. Yeah. And he was almost eight years old. In fact, um, tomorrow would have been his 80th birthday. Aw. Yeah, in fact, this is the thing I always look for when it comes to... In fact, this is something I always do with my weekly broadcasts, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, well, that's kind of a downer. Yes, it is. And to let you know, other than Star Trek, he was an actor-writer. He was known for The Bad People of 1974, In Harm's Way in 1965, and Raised the Titanic in 1980. And he was married to Marianne McAndrew, and he's been married, get this, almost 50 years. Wow. Almost 50 years. August 3rd, 1968. And wow. he met his wife on the set of Bad People. Well, oh, not met it, but worked with her on the movie Bad People. I'm going to have to look him up after this. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So is that it for news then? As far as I know. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you the question of the week. Since since you're part of uh, the uh, the fan series uh, Farragut, I thought yeah. I would uh, ask you a question that kind of do with that starship. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in the original series, James T. Kirk served aboard the Farragut. Who was the captain of that ship? Ooh, that's a good Was it A, Garovic, B, Ronald Tracy, C, Matthew Decker, or D, Robert April? So don't answer yet. All right. We'll, uh, we'll come back to it, but just, you know, you know be, be thinking about that. No cheating. <laughs> don't worry, I won't. I won't. <laughs> so if I hear some, some keyboard typing, I know. I know one of you is cheating. Got it. And besides, I should know, especially considering I've been serving on the ship for a number of years. <laughs> uh-huh. And I'll have some bonus uh, follow-up questions for it. <clears throat> All, right. All right. Shall we get into the interview? Sure. Even though kind of, it feels kind of weird for me because I'm usually interviewing people. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm being interviewed, so it's like, this is – the shoe's on the other foot here. So it's a little <laughs> now, great. Okay, so when you do your interviews for um, for your show, the what TRR, yes, the the Rogers Review, are you um, are you a dig out the dirt and grill them and make them break down and cry type interviewer? Or are you a fun type interviewer? Oh no! If I do that, if I grill the people I've interviewed, I'd probably be out of the job long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some guys make a living doing that. I just thought I'd check before to, to know what kind of interview we should throw at you. No, no, no. Um, I'm straight and lazy. I always try to make it the best fun interview possible with the people. And I've interviewed many people down the road. I've interviewed actors, producers, game show hosts, athletes, regular people. I mean, it has been a gamut of people I've interviewed over the past 13 years, not just with the Rogers of you. I worked with another magazine called the Chris Magazine before that. And before that, I was working at my college newspaper, The Spectrum. So it, my career with interviewing people started way back in the day. So that kind of leads me to my first question. I was going to ask you, how did you get into radio? But I think we should, we should also kind of go back further since you said you started in, in television. So how did you get into television? Well, I got into television back when I was a very young boy and I was watching Sales of Century. Oh, I'm just kidding. That's way too far back. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Well, I feel I got interested in television way back in high school, friendly high school for Washington, Maryland. And they had a television studio, which um, it was a brand new program at the time. And I decided, you know what, since I was – a television fanatic. I wanted to see what their morning announcements was all about. So I signed up during my junior year in high school, even though I wanted to sign up for my sophomore year, but they said I couldn't because I was too young. So I started in my junior year, and they, the greatest, biggest problem I had with that is when I signed up as a junior for the television program, they hired a freshman in the classroom that year. So I was like, oh. Maybe yes. Yes. So um, I started off with that year, 
and I became one of the most popular personalities at the time, WFUNN News, we called it. And I was known for two catchphrases. I was known as, and you might, might as well cover your ears because this time I'm going to say it how you should. I was a good morning friendly high guy. And my catchphrase at the end of the show was, all good things must come to an end. And we did the SAT words, and we did the uh, morning announcements. We talked about lunch, student of the month, what have you. And I switched off as an anchor one day and a reporter one day and behind the scenes. So, And that was almost, goodness gracious, actually 20 years ago when I first started with television. And then once I got to college, I wanted to become an actor, but I found a television studio at my college, Bowie State University. So I switched from acting. I started off as an actor, and I went to work at their TV studio, and I ended up working as a production assistant and worked for the newspaper. And that is when I got my very first celebrity interview. I got it while I was in college. And I will give you three guesses of who it is, but I'll give you a hint. It was not a Star Trek actor I interviewed. It was not even a sci-fi actor I interviewed. But it was a television game show. So I'm going to give you three guesses of who I've interviewed my first interview. Who would, who do you think I interviewed first? Well, my first guess is Bob Barker. It's not Bob Barker. He's much younger than Bob Barker, but that was a good answer. Pat Sajak. I met Passe Jack, but he wasn't. Would you believe it was Todd Newton was my very first game show ever? I, I wouldn't I have guessed that. Yeah. Uh, I interviewed him at the mall in Bethesda, and it was for the Game Show Network Get School Tour. And I just basically emailed him, told him I was coming to the event, and he agreed to the interview. And I knocked out my first interview, and I still can't believe that – it's been 13 years since I did that interview, and every time we meet up, when he, whether he's doing the Crisis Right Live event or another game show network event, it's not, hey, Mr. Newton, and hey, Mr. Rogers. It's been, hey, Dean, hey, Ty, what's been happening? How's your career changed? How has it been improved? What's happening with life? And it's amazing how that very first interview set the course for the numerous interviews to come. And now we're getting to the radio. The radio is the most recent one. And how that happened was I started in college with um, WPSU 90.7 FM. I think that was the callers. I mean, not callers, the radio station at the time. And then I didn't do radio for a number, number of years because I focused on building the TRR brand, which has been almost nine years now. And then up until late last year, I found out the company I did my classes for, they're starting to build a brand new radio station. And a good friend of mine named Kevin Samson, who worked that station, he wanted me to do radio instead of television. And I told him I really focus on television since I've been taping my interviews. But he twisted my arms so tight that I eventually gave in and decided to become a radio personality for WERA 96.7 FM Radio Arlington. And that was almost a year ago, and it's been 41 shows since. And it's been a blast. I love doing it. I love getting up in the morning on Saturday, doing the half-hour show, and bringing in some stars. I meant some stars, but not too many stars. And doing some interviews and coming up with the latest entertainment news of the entertainment capital for that entire week. 
Very cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So what are some stars you brought in? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, normally when it comes to the interview, since it's a radio program, we don't bring in the stars, but we actually brought in a local director for the radio show. But most of the, excuse me, most of our interviews have been pre-taped. So during the course of the 41 shows we have had, I mean, it's been crazy. We had Christopher Nolan on. We had the people from the Brave, NBC's Brave. We had, um, yesterday's show, we had Adrian Molina, who is the co-director of Coco. I mean, the list goes on and on. And the best part about the brand is it always keeps me busy, whether it's the biggest red carpet that happens in the nation's capital or the local event that's happening, let's say, in a movie theater. And every show is always different. It's always I'm always excited when it comes to every show because I never know who I'm going to have. I never know who's the interview of that week, and I never know what audience we're going to bring. And what can I say? It's been sensational. That radio show is still going, and we got our contract renewed recently, and people love us. So I'm very excited, and I'm glad that the people who are listening, they're so excited. Bill, do you want to go next? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm – I'm letting it roll with the punches this time because, I mean, it's, I keep thinking, it's like, I should ask, oh, he just said that. I should ask, oh, he, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess that's the uh, the thing about interviewing a uh, interviewer is they know what's coming, so they know what information you need, and they just put it out there. So I've been, I haven't finished watching all of Farragut, and that's also the other thing that's stumping me. I've finished the first two episodes, mm-hmm. and I'm still working my way through the rest, but, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic fantastic show thank you thank you i'm really impressed by the uh production quality mm-hmm. and just the the general the the, the plot the, the story the acting the the really annoying credit scene you've got where it just shows that it's <laughs> it's like you guys got all the bells and whistles it's like I'm sitting there, it's like, oh, wow, look, they've even got the planet flyby. Every Star Trek show has a planet flyby. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yeah. You can't be the exception to the rule, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, it's, it's it's really good. Now, it's like part of what was driving me nuts, though, is, is, is like the, the, the playlist I had was uh, it, it, it broke it down into like five-minute chunks so I have to keep uh, clicking next video to, so I don't know, maybe I've just got a bad link for it where somebody copied what you guys did and put it out. I mean, it still credits all the people involved. It just doesn't have the full film. Right. Well, you can definitely get the full film on starshipbergen.com, and I know that our um, YouTube page has the entire film uncut, commercial-free, as they say, in Talish Land. <laughs> But um, I still can't believe it's been 10 years since I've been involved with Starship Farragut. And it started off as a still photographer for the second episode for One of the Now. And it was the coldest day of the year, I swear. It was March 2007, and they filmed it at a park in Southern Maryland. And I've been hounding the Farragut crew for almost a year because when I heard that they were filming in Maryland, it's like, 
what kind of Star Trek crew films in Maryland? And I thought I thought the good ones were in New York and Texas, which at the time there were only two original series, and they were in um, there were Starship Executor and New Voyages, and to find out the Farragut was in Maryland, it's like I got to sign up for this group, and that was ten years ago, and then. I thought when I wrapped up that photo shoot and they asked me to put on the shirts and become part of their crew. And I was, we went up to the new voyage set in New York and just to have that uniform on and to walk onto their 360 bridge before they had the Star Trek tour and before they moved it into that bigger facility, it was like living out your ultimate Star Trek. I was there for, almost a week as an ensign and a new character and I thought that was my one and done episode. I've lived out my dream. And then to be asked back for the episodes since then and then my character got almost blown up a few times. That was uh, (laughs) I asked for hazardous duty pay when that happened. (laughs) And then my character got promoted to lieutenant and I switched from, which I think no one else has done that um, in the Star Trek series. I think a few, few of my few characters done, but I switched from, because I started off as a helmsman, if you probably most likely pay attention, and then I switched to navigator, and that's been my position ever since. And then the episodes, I should say, you're right, they've been getting better. It's like the acting's getting better, then we moved our filming location from New York and moved it down to Southwest Georgia in a small town called St. Mary's and then we moved to Kingsland and to do what we've done for the past 10 years wonderful experience and if I have to do it all over again I would say yes 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 and I loved it I loved it and then being on Farragut it led me to being the voice actor for four series so far. What are the and, series? Yeah. Ooh, you have to now, you guys. <laughs> Good, test my memory here. Okay, so I got to start with the first one. The first one with Star Trek Valkyrie, and I play a similar character to what I do now. I play Lieutenant Michael Swanson. He is the navigator, and then he's also chief of security for that one. Hmm. And then the same people who brought Valkyrie created Star Trek Ranger, and I have to change my voice a bit, because I play Commander Alexander Charvis, who is the executive officer. And then, after that, a couple years went by, and it's in the piloting stages, but I think the first episode is going to be released sometime in the new year, and that's with Excalibur Larks, and I play Lieutenant Donald, I think Smith is his last his name, and he is also another navigator. I've been playing navigators for a <laughs> third time. I'm a navigator. And the final one and is A Call to Unity, which I think someone in here is very familiar with. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's Count- my thing. <laughs> yeah, and I played a counselor, so... And I love that I'm now doing voiceover acting because that's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And since I was able to change my voices because of my good theater background and to do four series, it can be challenging at the same time, but it's rewarding because I get to know my different characters. I get to know their strengths. I get to know their weaknesses. 
and I get to put my voice to work other than radio and other than doing the um, TRR videos. We're going to go through everything, one production at a time, but, um, <laughs> okay. well, start, I mean, Farragut's the one, I was just finished watching that one, so that's what I'm still thinking of, and yes, I'm going to listen to Valkyrie, that's on my to-do list, and, and I'll get to, you know, like Scalibur, and I'll, I'll go through the list that you're, but I'm, 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 I'm trying to go through everything, man, there's so much. <laughs> I know there is. <laughs> So uh, for, you're in you're you're in Northern Virginia and you had to drive down to Georgia for the filming of the later episodes. That's what like nine and a half hours. Very close, ten hours on the road. I actually I only flew one time. I took a bus one time. The other times I've driven down. And I have a funny story about that. One of my um, travels, I was taking my old car, my old Balibu, and I drove down to Georgia, and I heard some flap flap flapping sounds from the tires and I went to check I think I was probably halfway down there and I checked the car out everything was fine and then the next morning I had not one but two flat tires two so I was like how in the world my car made it to Georgia with two flat tires by the end and me not getting killed along the way I will never know I think by the grace of God. So thank you, God, for helping me out. <laughs> See, God's a Trekkie, and he loves fan films. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you said you said the first time you heard of Farragut, they were working out of Maryland. Yes. And now, did, like, the, the main production people move to Georgia? Or, I mean, because that, that, that's the part that's kind of confused me. I, I could get why everybody would drive up to New York where there was – the, the big completed new voyage is set. But if you guys are all in Maryland, why why drive to Georgia for filming? I mean, that's a... Long story short, it's location, location, location. Um, we got to give... I got to give a shout-out to Holly, who's a um, realtor. And Farragut's been wanting to build their sets for a while. And originally, we were going to build the sets in the DMV, but unfortunately, because of the high cost of living there and let alone putting sets there, that became a problem. So they're looking at different locations. They're looking in Cleveland. They were looking all over the country. And they found Georgia. And we first moved into a 3,000-square-foot building, and that was in St. Mary's. And then we moved into a 10,000-square-foot building, which, by the way, for those who don't know, um, Farragut, we did sets first, and then STC came along and we shared the sets. And then once we done with our final episode, STC now owns the sets. So that's how the whole shebang about started. But we still did film in Maryland. Most of the bridge and the interior shots were filmed in Georgia. While some of our outdoors, we filmed in California at one point. Um, and that was for the price of anything. And for some of our later episodes and earlier episodes, we filmed in Maryland. So, so, and majority, and the reason why we moved is, um, because of location, but majority of the Farragut cast is from the great DMV, myself, John Broughton, who plays the captain, um, Mike Bednar, the great commander tag, and Holly Bednar. In fact, um, the, most of the core group, we were from the area. While some of our later actors, like Victoria Avalon, who played Chief Dupree, and Dan Collins, who was Weston, and Rakia May, who played the doctor, they were from 
the great state of Georgia and the surrounding area. So that's why that's what happened. So majority okay. here, while the rest of the crew were from other places like New Jersey and Georgia and Florida. Very cool. Very cool. I just, I was, I was, it strikes me as odd, you know, because it's like, I mean, you're doing a fan film. It's, it's not like you have, you're, it's not like you're, you're, you're made of money and you can just, you know, because you still have to work your day job, and that's just, that's just a long hike. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And a long shoot because I'm normally when we are interior shots, they take a week long. And can you imagine being in Star Trek, being in your uniform, working and walking across those corridors for an entire week? Uh, all the time, but it's never happened for me yet. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, it's like going to space. <clears throat> once you're there, you do not want to leave. And once you leave, it's like, when are we going back? <laughs> And I love that feeling. And I think all of us who worked on Starship Erica, we love that feeling that this was our space camp. Except we were not pretending. We were actually creating movie magic from the first day to the final day. Right. What are the Homecoming Chronicles? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I'm surprised no one has asked me about that. The Homecoming Chronicles are a series of interviews from the cast and crew of Starship Farragut, and this was filmed from the time we were doing the filming of our swan song, our soon-to-be final episode, Homecoming. And the original idea for the 8C was they were going to be the interviews, but they were going to be saved for when Farragut Homecoming comes out. We were going to put it all on the DVD, and we get to hear these wonderful stories. But because of the wonderful world of filmmaking where, you know, when it comes to post-production, you never know how long the film is going to take or how long the editing is going to happen, I decided, you know, it's been a year. Yeah, it's been over a year since we shot our final scenes for Homecoming. And because of the long wait, it's like, you know what? Let me put my editing skills to use. And I got all these interviews, and this could be great filler for our fans who, even though we haven't produced a um, new film yet, our last film, let me just see what the reaction was going to be. So I decided to take our first subject, who was Kevin Palm, who is a great, who plays the bagpipes, by the way, by trade. That's one of his um, jobs. And let me just work out this interview, put together music, put together a background, and get all my pictures that I've taken from Starship Farragut of each of the actors over the years and see what the fan reaction is like. And... I still cannot believe to this day the fan reaction. It is incredible. It's like, wow, people want to read these stories and listen to the stories. Because imagine, if you will, being on any fan series or a series for such a long time, and you got all these great stories to share, and you want to share them. And growing up for me, I always liked to be a storyteller. I've that a lot of my friends tell me that I talk about my life so much that I should write a book, which hopefully that'll be going to work down the road, but I'm not sure yet. <laughs> I think I'm more of a video person than a book, um, a, a writer person. So, 
I decided, so when it came to the first one, it got a great reaction. It's like, you know what, let me keep doing this. Let me see how far I can take this. So we, I started off with our background actors, and now we're in our second phase of the Homecoming Chronicles, which is our supporting cast, which is myself included. And I was cringy at the fact it's like, oh, my gosh, I've gotten to the point where I had to be interviewed, and I had to interview and edit myself. But thankfully, <laughs> someone else ed- interviewed me. Um, Dan who was one of our background characters, and he's a writer for one local papers in Florida. He interviewed me, but it's like, oh, my gosh, I got it edit my my own. It's like, oh, goodness, I'm going to cringe a little bit. <laughs> but it's wonderful to have and show the cast and crew talk about the memories that they made while filming Starship Berrigan. And it brings tears to my eyes, literally, because it's amazing how these wonderful group of people, whether they're the background characters, whether they built the sets, whether they made the costumes, and whether we acted, that we spent a week together on sets and see what we've done. Now that it's on Facebook, now that people have watched this, now that people know Farragut by heart, that Farragut is part of the golden age of fan films. And to look back, it's like, I can't believe we did all that. And, whew, it's like if I ever have kids one day, I can just sit back and show them that I interviewed this person, I directed this series, I voice acted in this series, I created this series of interviews for a fan film. I had a good life, and it's been a good life so far. And best yet, and the best thing about the Homecoming Chronicles is it's still we still got interviews in that. There are still, I think, at least seven interviews I still have to go through before the final curtain, which is going to be Captain Carter. So I, I watched your uh, your Homecoming Chronicle yesterday. Oh, I hope I did good. <laughs> I could tell that you, know, you have a lot of love for the series and those people, and talking with you now, uh, that... You know, it, it's it's really easy to tell that you really enjoy this, and uh, it, I look forward to uh, to binge watching all of the episodes. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And it doesn't matter if I worked with Farragut or worked on your project, Adam. <laughs> Every project I work with, I feel a great say, a great sense of family. And there's one thing um, I didn't say. In my homecoming crowd, I think I said it, but I, I don't think I really did. I have to thank my mother. My mother, um, the late Sharon Rogers, she was the one that got me into Star Trek in the first place 30 years ago. And she was the one that took me to my very first convention, which I met Marina Sirtis and Jonathan Frakes. She took me to my very first Star Trek group, which was the USS Alcantara in Starfleet. And that was the show we shared together. And that um, National Air and Space Museum exhibit on the 25th anniversary for Star Trek, she waited outside to get me tickets for that exhibit. God bless her. Wow. <laughs> and we went. We had a good time. And 
she was the one that got me into Star Trek in the first place. So I have to thank my lucky stars that I have a, a great, I had a great mother who gave me a great life and a great escape. And in turn, it led me to pursuing acting. It led me to pursuing a career in media. It led me to do so many great things I never thought I would do in my life. And at one point, Star Trek actually helped me get a job <laughs> in real life. <laughs> do story. It's a true story. Um, the job I applied for, I, I worked at a local Catholic school in Northern Virginia. And when I did my very first interview, which I did get the job, they told me the reason why we wanted to interview you is we looked on your Facebook page. We said, oh, dear God. Why did they look at my Facebook page? And it said, we saw you in a Star Trek uniform. And it said, that's the guy I wanted you to say. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So they were asking me questions about the set. I meet William Shatner. How did it feel to work on Star Trek? And I just showered them. And it was a wonderful job. And I, I really miss that job. It's a great job. Awesome. Awesome. Bill, do you have any questions? Uh, honestly, it's like I kind of I, 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 I kind of forgot that I was interviewing him. I thought I was listening to one of his um, Rogers reviews, you know, because the last couple of days I've just put him on just to get a feel for what he's done and everything. So I was like sitting back enjoying the show. It's like, oh, oh, wait, I'm on this show. I should say something. <laughs> this is this is the best kind of guest to have. It's like I don't have to do anything; just let him roll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always, I know, I always have that effect on people. It's like even when I'm being interviewed, it's like every, and that's one thing I learn about when it comes to interviews. It's like you could prepare all the questions you wish, and I've interviewed everyone from Robin Williams to. Ava DuVernay to Rob Reiner, no matter how much preparation you have, you will always have that experience or that interview where they answered your questions and you're just in it for the experience. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many experiences I have where I'm listening to their story and I'm just lost in the sea. It's like, oh my God, I am right here. I am listening to So many celebrities, and I'm just taking it in and just having a blast. Yeah. And yeah. they are the best. And you guys are the best, too. It's like, but it's like, go, if you have any question, it doesn't have to be Star Trek. Just go ahead. Go crazy. You know, I'm, I'm an open book. What can I say? Well, uh, we do need to do the rapid fire question mm-hmm. thing, and I need to see if I can come up with some of that Um, because wow I completely forgot about that this week (laughs) so uh, give give me a couple of minutes Uh, let let, let's go over the uh, the weekly trivia question while I fake it till I make it all right that's the best thing to do you know (laughs) yeah Bill do you want me to edit that out make you look good Oh, absolutely not. There's no making me look good this week. Oh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> All right. That's already good. 
Okay. So the uh, uh, question of the week, the, uh, let's see here, the Farragut. So in the original series, James T. Kirk served aboard the Farragut. Who was the captain? Was it A, Garavik, B, Ronald Tracy, C, Matthew Decker, or D, Robert April? What do you think, Dean? Ooh, what do I think? Do you have a guess, or do you know? Oh, I definitely know. Okay. <laughs> I should know. I've been serving on the ship for a number of ten years. Well, I would say that the person who I know who's a captain, he was a hero and a role model to Kirk. So it had to be. And the craziest thing is, he is part of one of the first fan series of the Golden Age of Fan Series, so it has to be Garrick. Yep, you're right. <laughs> I I was sitting here going, oh, I I hope he says I hope he says the right one. He's, he's really like making it seem like he really knows. And I, I I thought maybe you would say like April, and then I was like, well, what what do I do? Do I edit this out to make him look good? No, I, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know. If I get the wrong answer, I probably would never be serving on Farragut in the near future. So my Harpy reputation is on the line here. <laughs> So that that comes from season two, episode eighteen, obsession, uh, the original series. So I, I've got uh, two bonus questions. Do, right. do you want those? Sure, knock it out, knock it out. Okay. So the first bonus question: What rank was Kirk when he served aboard the Farragut? Wow, you're really. <laughs> he was a lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Do you agree, Dean? I would say yes. I think he was lieutenant, but somebody tells me no. I, I really got to stew on this. I really got to stew on this. It's been a while since I've seen Obsession, but I think I want. If I bet myself, I want to say lieutenant. I'm gonna say for lieutenant. Yeah, you're both right, lieutenant. Woo! All right. Mm. Congratulations, you've won a new car. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to say, did I win another car on another show? Oh, goodness. <laughs> on The Price is Right. No, actually, I didn't win it on The Price is Right. I actually won it on Wheel of Fortune. Oh, wow. Wait, you actually won a car on the Wheel of, Wheel of Fortune? I did. It Wait, was, um, the, the tape date was um, November 25th. No, actually, the air date, November 25th, 2003. But we taped in 2003. I think it was September, but yeah, I was a contestant on World of Fortune. Okay, I'm, I'm writing this down so I can I can watch that. <laughs> yeah, but it was Thanksgiving week. I was a contestant, and it was part of the um, Secret Santa sweepstakes, which whatever a contestant won, which is me and the players, someone at home in America won the exact same thing. So I thought I was going to earn 13000 on the show because that was my goal of earning 13000 And I ended up winning $70,121 in cash and prizes. And I'm not kidding. Wow. Wow. And that included a new car, which I didn't keep. I sold the car. <laughs> to Hawaii, I won a $7,500 shopping spree for Walmart. So... Someone at home got a trip to Hawaii, a car, and a Walmart shopping spree. Wow. And to let you know, that is my second game show I was on. I was on two game shows. What was the other one? 
Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Back in 2003. What? Now, two game shows. Did you want to be a millionaire? I did. I tried. I did. I didn't become a millionaire, but I was okay. very close. Very close. So that was my that was my second question. Is like you wanted to, but did you? What was the uh, the date for that? Um, that was I'm trying to think. It was November of 2003. I don't remember exactly, but I remember it was taped in August of that year. Okay. Okay. And I'm gonna have to look these up at some point. Oh yeah, and it was the second season of Meredith Vieira. Okay. So I warn anyone: if you want to challenge me with trivia, it's gonna. Be, yeah, I don't want to slaughter you. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, this is really cool. You're like a celebrity. That's uh, awesome. It's a minor celebrity. I'm, I'm just a person who doesn't like to give interviews and talk <laughs> to people. But I do do autographs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I've got a, a second bonus question. Sure. Okay, so the Farragut was mentioned in Star Trek 2009. Who was supposed to be assigned to it during the battle with Nero at Vulcan? Oh, that's easy. If she served on board, I think our characters would have gotten along. I probably would have dated her, especially <laughs> the actress who played her, Lieutenant Orville. <laughs> yeah, and who was the actress? Ooh, the lovely, talented Zoe Saldana, who I've yeah. never interviewed yet. I haven't interviewed her yet. Well, there you go. All right, you gotta Zoe. got to slap on listening. that Star Trek uniform and make the call, man. Yeah. If you're listening, Zoe, you, there you go. You gotta be interviewed yeah, Zoe, by Dean Rogers. Steve Rogers, I want to interview. Please come not come to DC one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's the the question of the week. Nice. I'm so glad I got all three of them. It's like that's the same pressure I feel being on a game show. It's like, will I get these questions right? Will I mess up? Will I say the wrong thing? <laughs> yeah, the, the only thing you have to gain or lose is your street cred with Star Trek. That's true, which is why I'm making sure I got it right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so are you ready, Bill? I hope so. I think I've got it. I've got a few. It's like I had these, like, you know, a couple of them are actually uh, Washington, D.C. themed, you know, a shout-out for Dean's hometown, so to speak. Well, thank you. Um, first, real simple, um, which do you prefer, Andorians or Tellarites? That's a good question. I would say Andorian, since um, the co-pilot of the Valkyrie is an Andorian, Lieutenant Shroon who I miss, and he's a great guy. And plus, when I did a course on um, Andorians, I found out how many wives they have, so it's like, yeah, Andorians. No question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Since since Farragut is a show about one of Kirk's other ships, I thought I'd ask you about some of the Enterprise's other captains. Who do you prefer, Captain Harriman or Captain Garrett? Ooh, that's a tough one. Because I uh, met... Um, Alan Ruck, who plays Harriman in real life, and yet I serve on board. Yeah, it's, every question is almost like related to a fan film. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and Garrett is on an Ambassador-class starship, which is the Ranger. But I got I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off, so I have to go with Harriman. Awesome. Awesome. That's my pick, too. All right. Uh, now a couple of uh, – now we're going to finish this with a couple of Smithsonian questions. Um which would you rather see when you visit the Smithsonian, Archie Bunker's chair or Dorothy's ruby slippers? That's a tough one. I, it has to go with the chair. Awesome. Since, um, awesome. I love all the family and meeting Rob Reiner, who played Meathead, 
And it's part of an iconic series, especially since it was the one of the first television series to really break ground as far as the television taboos of the time. So I have to go with the chair. Okay, okay. And is there anybody you haven't who haven't you interviewed? I mean, come on, man. Oh yeah, really? I interviewed Rob Ryan. Come on, man, really? That I have I have an easier question of who I have interviewed compared to who I haven't interviewed. I mean, the lists for both are long and steady. Well, let but me ask I, you, I'm sorry, go ahead. The one I want to know specifically, before I go back to the last two of these uh, rapid-fire questions, mm-hmm. have you interviewed Kevin Bacon? No. I'm hoping to one day. That would be awesome because that would make your show a critical link in any six degrees of Kevin yeah. Bacon. That would yeah. be... <laughs> Anyway, anyway, two more questions to go. Um, Smithsonian Inspirational Space Exhibits, the USS Enterprise or the Apollo Capsule? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> You're making it tough for me every step of the way. Because they both play it's they both play significant parts of my life. And I honestly, I really can't choose. But if I have to choose one, it's the Enterprise. Easy, Enterprise. Okay, okay. I mean, there's no wrong answers here. It's just one of those quick, fun things. Uh, now, last one, just to go uh, new school versus old school. Which alien destruction of DC did you prefer, Independence Day or Earth versus Flying Saucers? Ever since I first saw it, it's like, I can't believe it blew my town this way. I have to go with Independence Day. Okay, all right. See, I figured I'd throw that one off there because, you know, with everybody doing these original series fan films from the 60s, I figured that 1950s Earth versus Flying Saucers, Washington Monument getting crashed into, I thought that might be a thing that would get you. Yeah, it would get me, but seeing that um, the alien ship, that 15-mile rated rated ship blow up the Capitol, it's like, oh, yeah, we got to run. With the Washington, yeah. it's like, just move out of the way about 15 feet, we'll be fine. But with that, <laughs> it's like, yeah, run. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, so that's it for the lightning round. Plus, i got to throw in the Kevin Bacon bonus in there. So. All right. <laughs> Exciting times. It is, it is. I mean, you already said you liked uh, Zoe Saldana. How do you feel about the new films in general? At first, I'll be honest with you, I, especially being a film critic, um, when I, when it first came out, I was really skeptical because I, in fact, one of my last papers in college, I did a term paper on remakes, sequels, reboots, and I basically told my college professor, who gave me an A, by the way, that there are sometimes some shows, some songs that deserves an update, other times, I don't feel, and I felt Star Trek was one of them. I felt it was okay by itself. It did not have to be touched. It did not have to be updated. So when I first heard about it, it's like, oh, my God, why are they taking the one thing that I love and trying to destroy it? <laughs> but once I saw the first movie, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I want the uniform, especially since it's not form-fitting like the original series uniforms I'm used to wearing. Yeah. And then the second film, I felt, I can't believe they remake Khan and destroyed it a little bit. But Benedict Cumberbatch, like, I, I can't resist Benedict Cumberbatch. What can I say? And then the third film, I, it really got back on track of the series. And 
I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the films. I love the new series. But if you ask me personally, I love my fan films more because it captures that classic feel. It captures why I love Star Trek in the first place. It captures the spirit, and it still holds on to that spirit. So whenever I see the new movies and then work on my fan film, it's like the original series is still home for me because this is my crew, this is my ship, I get to act, I get to create a character. But then again, I do wonder, and the crazy thing is I do have the uniform from Anovos of the first film, and I actually found someone who made the Farragut pen for me, so... I tell people if they see me in my uniform, I am not from the Enterprise. I'm the Farragut of the same universe. <laughs> I do, I do have hard forward to new films, but I love my original series films more. Well, I gotta say, as far as people saying they prefer a fan film over a professional film, you've given the best reason for that. Um, I've seen a few people on the internet who'll do the whole "this new movie is not canon." My fan film is canon. This movie is not canon. But no, I mean, you're at least... It's about the heart and the, 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 the joy and the passion and all that. So that, that's a good answer. Thank you. I like that answer. Yeah, but I will add, I feel that the chemistry of both the new film and a fan film, it remains the same no matter what. And that's why I enjoy not only the new film, but I also enjoy Discovery that way. I look at the actors, and I look how they interact with each other, and it's like, if the main thing I want to make sure that both have is the chemistry of the cast. If the cast does not have that chemistry within that ensemble, it's not Star Trek at all. Mm-hmm. So to see the crew of the Enterprise from the news, the, the movies, to see the crews of our fan films except for one which we all probably know. <laughs> mm. And the one and the one from Discovery, it's like I can work with this crew. I can enjoy seeing this crew week after week and movie after movie. Honestly, this is probably going to be a real easy I sh- I should say something incredibly stupid just so Adam has something to edit out. Shut up, Wesley. Because this, this went <laughs> Incredibly smoothly. It's like ask a question and just let Dean run with it, man. I mean, I'm trying to think. Is there anything else we need to know? All right, fine. Well, since you're an interviewer, how about you ask a question? There, I'll put you on the spot. All right. So I'm going to ask one of my professional questions. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to say, what made you want to do Final Frontier Podcast in the first place? I've always enjoyed fan films. And it, it's only been a handful I've actually found because most of the time people will spend two or three years making one movie and then they put that out there and, and, and that's it. And I just, I haven't found all of them. So I go looking and, you know, you ask people on the internet, hey, what are some good fan films? Well, watch my fan film here and you follow the link and it's not finished yet. They're still in production. Yeah. And it was driving me crazy, and, and, and but I, I love the fan films I've seen, and I just haven't seen them all yet. And this was an opportunity to have a, an actual excuse for finding them and getting good resources together to actually see everything that I haven't seen yet. So for me, it's um, I'm still getting that new car smell off the fan films that I get to watch. Oh, yeah. And this puts me in a position where people will actually send me useful links instead of, 
hey, um, yeah, I'm going to make this movie and I have a script and I'm selling it around. And it's like, that's okay. I, I have that too, but it's a horrible script. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> this lets me see the good fan films that have actually been made. Exactly. And that's the one part I love, I appreciate about Starship Barrogate throughout the time I worked where we're one of the very fur, very few fan films that started and has ended. And you got to have that appreciation because, because as I heard from people who worked in different fan films over the years, it's tough sometimes to get from the idea of creating a fan film to actually executing. And then if you make more episodes, Will it be, will you have that ending, or will you have that one or two or how many episodes and have unanswered questions, you know? Yeah. Well, I tell you, that's the one kind of good thing to come out of some of the panic about the guidelines. Take, for example, Adam's project, Call to Unity. Mm -hmm. Originally, he was going to make one of those one-off movies, yeah. and then the guidelines came down, and he's retooled it to be a, uh audio drama. Mm-hmm. And he's saying now that it's an audio drama, it's going to have multiple episodes. Exactly. And the best part about that is the guidelines do not affect audio productions. Do, want, do, we, do we have time for more questions I can ask you? <laughs> if you've got stuff you really want to know, go for it. Yeah, sure. All right. Since you both have seen most of our fan films, and I'm not talking just fair again. I'm talking about fan films in general. Is there a fan film that was just a one-off that you would love to see continue, have another movie or have more episodes. Which would it be? Well, that's a real tough one. I'd like to... I'd, I, I would have liked to have seen maybe a little more of... Uh, what is it? Star Trek Horizon. I would have liked to have yeah. seen another of those. Mm. Um, I, I mean, Enterprise was not my favorite of the Star Trek shows. It was still good. I still enjoyed it. Yeah. But that particular fan film was out freaking standing, and I would have loved to have seen them do a follow-up. I mean, their, 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 their sappy emotional stuff was a little too sappy emotional, but they hit all the notes you're supposed to hit in a Star Trek show, you know, between the, the crew interaction and dealing with the uh, the the... the, the empathy of it all and the, the human emotion side of things and dealing with, a, you know, it's a pretty awesome exploration story. They got both angles of it, and I'd love to have seen them do a couple more. That would have been interesting to watch. And I would have liked to, I mean, Renegades, Renegades, Renegades was, was a really, really rough cut, but it had a lot of potential. And I'd like to, like to have seen them maybe do a couple of reshoots on a couple of scenes and maybe do a couple more episodes of that, too. Absolutely. Like, I have to agree with you. Uh, Horizon was one of the ones I really hoped that had had a second chapter because I was very impressed that, number one, they made that film, for, I think it was around $20,000, very minimum sets, and got they pulled off. And you're right, like you, Enterprise... Um, was the least likely child of the Star Trek TV series that I like, but over the years, I actually slowly grown to love it. 
especially um, with the cast and what they were trying to do with the prequel to everything we knew about Star Trek. And then when I saw Horizon, it's like it really piqued my interest to rewatch Enterprise and see what they're all about. Yeah. Of all of the Trek series, we're just talking about the Trek series, what is your favorite? What is the one that got you into Star Trek in the first place and made you appreciate the love that Trek has given us for over 50 years? Growing up, uh, I would occasionally see TNG mm-hmm. on TV, and uh, I I really, you know, I would just sit down and watch it, and I found that I really enjoyed it. And then I would occasionally uh, see the DS9 episodes airing, and I was like, oh, what's this? This is really good. Oh, wait, this is c- somehow connected to that other show? Oh. And then Voyager started uh, premiering, and I was like, oh, oh, this is another one. Oh, I like this too. And then uh, by 2001, when Enterprise started, I became this rabid Trekkie. That, uh, I knew everything I could know about it, and I had seen everything, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. And so I was really excited for Enterprise. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, simply put, TNG is my favorite. Nice, nice. How about you, Bill? Uh, well, mine's a little bit different. Being a, a second-generation Trekkie, I didn't really have uh, uh, what was the show that I discovered Star Trek with. Star Trek has always been on in the background in my life, so... Uh, the original series was, was where I got my start because it was always there. I do tend to lean towards uh, the next generation as my favorite series. Um, it's always a toss-up between the original series and next generation, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. And every now and then, if, if, if I'm doing like a top ten episodes list overall, even though Enterprise, the, the entire series, wasn't my favorite, there are a handful of episodes there that were just the best of Trek in general. So it, it's almost enough to make me want to say Enterprise is my favorite because there were a couple of episodes that were just over-the-top fantastic. Usually the stuff with the conflict between the Romulan or between the uh, Vulcans and the Andorians, those were the good ones. Of all the Star Trek actors, past or present, if you wanted to have a conversation with one of them or maybe a couple of them to sit at a table and talk about Trek, who would it be? Walter Koenig. Why Walter? Uh, well, Chekhov was there from the beginning, and uh, he's uh, – uh, I mean, uh, everybody else, yeah, sure, you know, Leonard Nimoy is an icon. William Shatner is a legend, you know. Uh, but, 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 but Koenig, he's, he's, he's like, he's, he's closest to being the, the guy that everybody else can relate to on the crew. And his career has actually gone beyond just, I mean, he's, he did a stint on Babylon 5, which gives you an entire, you know, little sideways foray into another aspect of sci-fi. And he's, of of the people involved, him and Nichelle Nichols are probably like the most friendly and likable ones. Absolutely. In, in my opinion, I mean, I'd love to do either one of those for an interview or just to talk with, but I think Walter Koenig would be more interesting life story wise for some of the stuff he's done. Because I mean, but I mean, 
I can't see any of them giving a bad interview. There, there's nobody I'd really not want to talk to. So that's a really hard question to answer straight up. But if, if, if it came down to the who's the one guy, mostly because everybody else wants to line up and talk with William Shatner or Leonard Nimoy, I'm going to be over here so I can have more time with Chekhov. You know, I'll have because everybody's busy asking the other guys. Nobody talks to him, and he's kind of the heart of the show. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. I definitely agree with um, Walter Koenig, especially since he and I are um, department mates now, <laughs> as you say, <laughs> fellow navigators. But I would add um, the person who I got into Star Trek and kept going to Star Trek, LeBar Burton. I have not interviewed him yet. And, you know, he has a very good, fascinating career with Reading Rainbow and Roots and several other things he's done with his life. And I have a feeling that by the end of the interview, we're going to become best buds and we'll probably invite each other to dinner. Have you heard from you, Adam, about um, the one person or two people you like to sit down and talk about Trek with? Well, I was going to say Leonard Nimoy, but I feel like... Um, now I can't say him because Bill shamed me. I'm, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I think it really would be Leonard Nimoy. And not, not just to ask him about Star Trek, uh, but just kind of about his life in general. Because he seemed to be very genuine and have a lot of heart and to be very kind. He seemed like the real deal. Let's hear it for a quick list of all the projects and, and stuff you're working on that you'd like to plug. Dean, we'll close with that. All right, well, I'm going to start off with my um, Trek series. Um, Starship Arrogate Homecoming is coming out in 2018. And look for the information on starshiparrogate.com. We also have the Homecoming Chronicles, which the next one I believe is going to come up in a week or two. Then we have the upcoming new seasons for Star Trek Ranger, which is, I think, season three or season two. And Valkyrie, which is going to be season four, and there's going to be some changes coming up, which I really cannot divulge, and so you have to listen out for that. Excalibur Moss is coming out in 2018. A Call of Unity, Adam knows the answer to that one, so I really can't say. Intent. <laughs> um, <clears throat> mum's the word. Okay. And then um, on the personal side, if you want to listen to the Rogers Review on the radio, if you're in D.C., it's on 96.7 FM, W-E-R-A, FM. And if you want to listen online, which you can, we have our live show at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on W-E-R-A dot FM. But if you can't listen at 1 p.m. on Saturdays, which some people can't do, we put our shows on Mixcloud, and you look for The Rogers Review, review spelled R-E-B-U-E. We're not the ordinary way. We are the extraordinary way. And if you want to read about me and the team and look out for reviews and concerts and all that, and some of the people we've interviewed over the years, our website is therogersreview.com. And you can like us on Facebook. We're at The Rogers View. Twitter and Instagram, it's all The Rogers Review, all one word. And that's all the plugs I have. <laughs> Well, thank you for being on the show. We we really appreciate it, and uh, uh, we enjoy talking to you. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm glad that I can add Final Frontier Podcast to my list of podcasts I now need to listen to. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take us out, Bill. All right. Well, if you'd also like to join Dean in following the Final Frontier Podcast 
Like us and follow us on Facebook. Uh, we are available for free on iTunes, and we're also on YouTube. So check us out at uh, whatever mode you prefer. This has been The Final Frontier, a Trexphere podcast. Special thanks to our guest, the radio guru extraordinaire, Dean Rogers. Thank you, thank you once again. <laughs> and be sure to tune in next week. Same bat time. Same bat channel.